Well, good morning, Faith Family. How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody doing well? It's good to see you. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're, doing, you're having a great uh, week and a great weekend. It's good to see you here today. I'm excited about, about diving into the message here and, and, and really just exploring God's Word uh, even, even more so than we already have in this series and uh, just real excited about it. Before we dive into it, though, I do want to, um, to just make a few announcements. I want to tell you about a few things. You know, I've mentioned over the last couple of weeks that our, our emphasis for 2016 is to really grow and to, to grow stronger, not only in our families and, and as, as in our lives as individuals, but also as a faith family. And so there's a lot of exciting things that are being put into place to help us accomplish that. And, you know, our, our greatest desire for, for all of us is that we would, that we would grow spiritually throughout this next year and, and ultimately just be stronger because of it. This Tuesday, I just want to uh, say, ladies, uh, for those of you who are here today, I want to just let you know of something that, that was mentioned in our In the Know video, but in case you missed it, this Tuesday at 6 p.m., uh, the, the women's ministry here at the church is going to be launching what they call Flourish. And, and they're talking about uh, this, uh, this Tuesday about the the need to choose to flourish, to choose to, to grow and to mature uh, as, a, as a woman, as a, as a believer in Christ Jesus. And so a lot of exciting things. This will be a monthly gathering that takes place every month. And so I uh, just want to encourage you ladies, if you're looking for something like that, this is, this is certainly a place that is going to be uh, a, certainly an event and, and a gathering that's going to be an exciting time. Uh, and an opportunity to grow and to, to nurture and to flourish in your faith. And so I'm excited about just hearing all the stories and testimonies that come from that. And then also I want to mention, uh, I know we've talked a lot about this, but it is, is so exciting to me. In two weeks, we're going to have Compassion International on site. And one of the things that we're going to be doing, and I know many of you are, uh, are very familiar with Compassion International, but one of the things that will be happening here for for four days, it'll be Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday uh, that Compassion will be here. Is they'll be putting on what they call the Compassion Experience. And what that is is an opportunity to take a, a short 15-minute tour through a presentation that they set up to give us an idea of what it's like for the children who are living in the world, the orphans and the, and, and the, and the children who are uh, living in third world countries. It, it'll give us a glimpse into their life. And I'm very excited about that. Um, I'll tell you, back in 1999, I was at a, a conference, a youth ministry conference. And, and I remember that while I was there, Compassion was there, and they were talking about their ministry. And I ended up picking up one of those cards, and I, did, I couldn't leave without just sponsoring a child. And I think back then it was like $15 or something. It wasn't very much uh, just a monthly uh, commitment to be made to sponsor a child, but I remember bringing that card home from that conference and sitting down with Linnell and our girls and, and us writing the letter to our sponsored child and just corresponding with her over the years. And, and ever since then, we have been sponsoring Compassion Children. But I'll tell you, if you get an opportunity to register, you can go on our website and you can find a link there to click on and, and it'll take you right to the registration. It's a free event, doesn't cost you anything. Uh, and I'll just tell you this, we have already had... And this is so encouraging to me, we, but uh, this week when we looked at the numbers, we had had 1,540 people already registered to take that tour here at our church. Amen? And so I believe that there's going to be a lot of children that are going to benefit from 
uh, the generosity of those who live in this city and, and are part of, uh, of just wanting to see how they can participate in a great missional thrust into our world concerning children. And so I just want to challenge you with that. With that being said, I want to pray for us and, and, and prepare our hearts to dive into God's Word this morning as we continue this, this series on God's absolute sovereignty. So let's pray, then we'll dive into His truth this morning. Father, Lord God, we, uh, we just want to stop and pause this morning and to acknowledge that, that God, you are good, and you are just, and God, you are loving. And Father, we are so thankful for your presence in our life. Lord, as we gather in this room and spend a few moments in prayer, I can't help but hear, and I know the rest of us can as well, hear the children and the excitement that's going in, on in the room next door to us and just knowing that one of the things that is happening there is that our children are being taught about how good and just and loving you are. And Father, that's good news to them, that's good news for us to, to know that, Lord, they are learning about our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, today we come to celebrate, we come to worship, we come to express, God, our feelings toward you through adoration and praise and thanksgiving. And Father, we are so thankful for everything that you are, we are thankful for everything that you have accomplished in our life, we're thankful for the reality, God, that you loved us so much that you would send your Son to die on a cross so that ultimately He could come from the grave victorious over both sin and death. And Father, that through Him, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that we may find eternal life. Lord, we are thankful for that. And Father, we are thankful, God, that we have an opportunity each week to, to gather together to open up your word and to, Lord, to allow the word of God to teach us. And so, Father, I pray that now as we prepare to do that, that you would open our hearts and our minds, that you would help us to be prepared for what it is that you want to teach us this morning. And God, that you would help us to place aside every distraction that is in our life that we may hear from you. We love you and we praise you in the name of Jesus, amen. Last week we opened up with a really an introduction to the doctrine of God's sovereignty. And this is where we sort of are focusing on, on this, in this series. I mean, this is the, the big picture of what we want to discuss here, God's sovereignty and what that means to us as believers in Christ Jesus and how we benefit from God being sovereign and how we as believers in Christ Jesus can be encouraged because God is sovereign. And so last week we, we launched this look into God's word as we, have, as we have continued to walk through Romans chapter 9 and we, we saw in the first week that God had, I mean that, that Paul, the writer of this letter to the Romans has this huge passion for lost people to know Jesus and many of us here today probably have people in our lives that we long for them to know exactly who Jesus is and a lot of the things that we do with our life a lot of the 
the, the, the purposes of our life center around us revealing this great truth to others, hoping that others would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So we talked about that, and then we looked at how Paul entered into this conversation about divine election, and so we, we looked at this. And one of the things that we acknowledged last week, and I want to sort of reaffirm here this morning, is that this is a very complex doctrine. This is not something that really in a sermon or two we're going to go, oh yeah, I get it. In fact, believers have been arguing over this doctrine for, for years and years and years, hundreds and maybe even a thousand years. I mean, this is the kind of thing that, that when we read about, it, it, it gives us a great insight into the greatness of God, but it's also one of those things that as the human mind tries to rationalize the truth of God's Word, we become puzzled by some of the things that we see, and, 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 and it causes us to dive deeper into this because we know that God's Word is truth. We know that, and so we seek to understand it, and yet sometimes, even in our own minds, we wrestle with these things that we read. We like to say around here uh, as staff, when we're, especially when we're trying to resolve conflict in someone else's life, we like to say this, that there's, there's always two sides to the story and then there's the truth. You ever heard that before? And that's the truth, isn't it? I mean, uh, even in our own minds, we, we allow our feelings, we allow our emotions, we allow our own biasness to, to, sort, of, to sort of stand in the way of us seeing the truth because Sometimes the truth is right in front of us, and yet we wrestle among ourselves with this trying to understand what God's Word is teaching us. And so there's no doubt we need to acknowledge that this is very complex when we start to really dive into understanding with our finite minds God's sovereignty. We need to study, we need to pray, we need to meditate, we need to search the Word we need to do these things because ultimately it causes us to grow and mature as believers in Christ Jesus. You should never just take your pastor's word for it. You should always turn to God's word and explore even deeper the truths that God's word presents to us. But ultimately, we must realize that some things that we find in God's word will probably for a very long time in our life remain very mysterious and elude us as we seek this truth in God's word understanding that we may simply have to come to a place where we say I just don't quite understand it all I don't fully understand it even the word speaks to this Paul writes in Romans chapter 11 verse 33 he says this he says oh the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unfathomable his ways. And so here, Paul, even by the time he gets to chapter 11, says, you know, it's just, it's really impossible for us to fully understand everything that God would have us to know on this side of heaven. In Isaiah 55, 8, we read this last week, but I want to read it again, and we're going to actually look at it even further later in the message today, but I think it's so important that we understand that, that this isn't something that we need to bog down in as we plow through, and we certainly should plow through the doctrines that the Word of God teaches us, but it's not something that should hang us up as we seek some of these truths, some of these 
precepts of God's word may take a lifetime to understand. And maybe, like I've already said, on this side of heaven, we may not ever understand fully. Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts are not, the Lord says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, uh, your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. And so if his thoughts aren't our thoughts, how would we ever really know exactly what he wants us to think about or to know? This morning, the, the, the message is titled Divine Sovereignty. And just thinking about this issue, just thinking about this topic that we're going to be looking at in God's Word, I sort of agree with John MacArthur in something that he said once. He said, I am happy to concede that God can resolve things that I cannot. How many of you feel that way sometimes? Amen? I'm happy to concede that God is, basically what he's saying is I'm happy to, to acknowledge that God is smarter than I am. And that's where I find myself so often. God, I know, God, I know that you want me to understand truth, but I'm here to tell you this old country boy just doesn't get it. Right? And so we come to a place where we say, you know, I, I just, I concede to this reality that that God, you understand far more than I do, and I pray that you will teach me the truth and I can understand it to the best of my ability. But divine sovereignty, that's what we're looking at today. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into the sovereignty of God. And we're looking at Romans chapter 9, verses 14 through 18, 14 through 18, as we continue into this text. Now, before we dive into 14 through 18, I want to go back to where we were last week because really, these two texts just go hand in hand together. We can't really separate them. And if you weren't here last week, I want you to make sure you understand the context of what the, the, the passage that we're looking at is, is, is speaking to. And so we want to dive back. And last week we were talking about this divine election. And, uh, and like I said, I recognize it can be puzzling, but, but this is the Bible and we don't run away from it. We don't go around it. We don't dodge it. We plow through it. We press on. Amen? We try to understand it, even if it takes a lifetime. Verse 11 is where I want to start today. Verse 11 of Romans chapter 9. It says, though they were not yet born, he's talking about Jacob and Esau, though they were not yet born and had, nothing, had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, that's Rebecca, the older will serve the younger as it is written. Now look at this, and this is where the flesh starts to argue. This is where our, our, we, we begin to wrestle with this because it doesn't really make sense to us. We've always understood that God is a God of love, and he is. And yet we read here in the scripture in verse 13, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Now here's what we see here. We, we, we see where God is really reversing the expected order here. You know, as we look in the Old Testament, we've always understood that, that the older was always the one who received the birthright. He was the one that was, was really expected to, to take on the father's name and and, and right away here we see in, in this passage, this text, that the older will serve the younger. That, 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 doesn't, uh, that doesn't always play out. And so we see God really reversing this expected order. But here's what's so remarkable about this as we, as we dive into the text and we try to understand it. We also see God choosing one and rejecting the other. 
As we read these words, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Now the purpose of the text that that we're about to look at, the, the whole reason for Paul writing these next words is basically to help us understand that this hatred is morally just. That this hatred that we read about in Scripture is morally just, even though this judgment was made before they were ever born, before they even had an opportunity to live, before they ever had an opportunity to, to walk on this earth and do good works, this judgment was made. And the point that Paul is making is, is that this this hatred is morally just because God is God. God is God. God is sovereign. He is the creator of all things, and thus He is the ruler of all things. Anything that God does is good. Anything that God does is perfect. And so therefore, the argument that Paul is making here is that though we read a text in the Scripture and we we struggle with this, this doesn't really make sense to us. Wait a minute, what about God being a God of love? Wait a minute, you're saying before the ends of time that, that Esau stood no chance. And the point that Paul is going to try to make here to us is, is this reality that, that what we see here is morally just because God is God. That's really the essence of divine sovereignty. We look around a world that just seems so chaotic and we, we wonder what in the world is happening here. I mean, it just seems like the world is out of control with everything that we hear about ISIS and, 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 and shootings and, and, and just, I mean, it's just, it just seems like the world is out of control. And, and I'll tell you, when you start thinking along those lines and then you think about God being in control, a part of us just wants to cry out and say, God, where are you? What's going on? And this is why this issue of the sovereignty of God, God being in ultimate control, weighs so heavily on our hearts. And, and we find ourselves really being so confused with the, with the issues that, that the Bible is trying to teach us here. These, these truths that the Bible is trying to teach us here. And so this, this point that he is making is this. That the hatred that we see in verse 13 is morally just. Now look at this. Here's here's how he starts off. Verse 14. Let's look at our text now. He says, what then shall we say? You see, Paul knows that we're going to question what was just written. Paul knows that the the human mind is going to say, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa. He loved one and he hated the other. What in the world? And so he, he comes with us with this verse 14. He says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? And then he says this, by no means. By no means could that be so. And then he explains it with this, verse 15. He says, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, 
but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. You know, one of the realities that we know about our life is that that God didn't create us to be a puppet on a string. There are certain decisions that we make, there are certain things that we do that, that are on us. But ultimately, the, the truth that we come to understand about God's sovereignty is that He is indeed in control. And we need to really realize here exactly what, what Paul understands perfectly and, 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 and that is the struggle that we have within our minds when we read text like this. We read this and we find ourselves scratching our heads. We read this and we, 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 we just struggle with it. That's just the, the purpose of it. And, and so Paul, though, he perfectly understands our, our dilemma here. He understands completely what we're struggling with. He knows that in our minds we struggle. And that we believe that God is God, but that God is a God of love. And Paul knows what people are thinking. He knows that they're thinking, God, uh, you know, you say that before they were born, you were already making decisions on this? He knows that, that the, the human heart, the, 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 who we are as humanity will cry foul. He understands this, and so... Paul begins with this very important thought, this very important question, this rhetorical question that he proposes, and that is, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? In other words, is God getting it wrong here? That's what he's asking. He's saying, because this is what we see, because this is what we understand about God's sovereignty, is God just getting it wrong here? And then he answers with a resounding no. No. Because here's what Paul knows. God never gets it wrong. We may not understand it. We may not be able to grasp it. We may not be able to wrap our minds around the truths that we see throughout Scripture. These are the ones that we like to dodge, aren't they? These are the ones that we go, oh, I, I don't get that. I'll leave that one for Pastor David. I'll, you know, thanks, gee, thanks, right? These are the ones that, are, that really we struggle in our mind, but, but Paul says, listen, God never gets it wrong. And then he gives this, he, he gives this example. He, he, he goes back to really quote, by quoting Exodus chapter 33, verse 19, and he says this in verse 15. He says, for he says to Moses, I have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. In other words, he says this, God is just because God is God. We can't get away from the reality that God is God and that he is in charge. So what is, what is it that God is revealing to us here in this passage? What is it that we can walk away? What, what truth can we walk away with today and, 
and at least try to understand. And, and, and I, I want to I just throw out a couple of them for us here this morning. The first one is this, is that God's choosing is his sovereign right. And that's what we've been speaking about. God choosing, God selecting, God electing, whatever you want to call it, that's his sovereign right. Because God is God. Because God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, God is the creator and the ruler of the heavens and the earth. And so God is God. And there are many things that we see that go on in our world that that we may struggle with, but we have to believe that God is sovereign. I don't know about you, but I, I don't know that I would, I would really feel that good and warm and fuzzy about following a God who I felt like didn't have control over things in this world. I don't know that anything other than absolute sovereignty would make him anything but God. And so here we see that God's choosing is his sovereign right. And this is the This is the purpose of what Paul is saying here. He's wanting us to know that because of who God is, because of his character, because of his nature, because of everything that he is, because of his Godism, he's in charge. And you know what's so beautiful about that? Where my mind tends to go is because the greater that Paul presents God to me, the more encouraged I am about the greatness of God. When I think about God's sovereignty, I don't don't go to a place where I bow up and I say, well, wait a minute, I want a little bit of control in this world. No, where I go is saying, man, the one whom I declare that I have victory in, the one that I look to as being my God, the one that I want to worship, the one that I want to serve, the one that I want to take care of me as I live this life, I want him to be absolutely sovereign. I want him to be in control of my life. I want him to direct my path. I want him to lead me and guide me. I want him watching over me. I want to be the one who sits perfectly under the wings of God. I want to be in the palm of his hand. So thinking of God as absolute sovereign, to me, doesn't discourage it. It highly encourages me. I want to look at Isaiah 55, 8, and 9 again because I think this is really something that we have to understand as we we look at this. Paul says, I mean, excuse me, Isaiah wrote uh, that the Lord said, he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And then in verse 9 it says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God is the creator of all things, both natural and supernatural. And we were created to bring glory to Him. The very purpose of our existence on this earth is to bring glory to Him. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Everything about God is just better than anything we could ever hope for. Psalm 115, verse 3 says this, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. He is a sovereign God. 
He is the one who is in control. Daniel 4, 35 says this, All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. God does his will in the heavens and even on this earth. And so God is just and he is right in whatever or whomever he chooses. Secondly, that I want us to see here today is this, is that God's glory, and this is huge, that God's glory is displayed in his sovereign mercy. God's glory is displayed in his sovereign mercy. Now, we talk a lot around here about grace. We, we, we look at grace, and, and, and mercy and grace are so, so closely connected. They're very closely intertwined with each other. Oftentimes in the Scripture, when we see grace, we also see the word mercy, God's grace and mercy. One of the things that Paul is presenting here in this text is, is God's mercy. But what he's wanting us to see here is that God's glory... In other words, him being glorified, him being beautiful, him being majestic, him being glorious, God's glory is displayed through his sovereign mercy. I know if I were to ask you here this morning, how many of you are thankful for God's mercy in your life, you would praise him, wouldn't you? (laughs) You would. We all would. Our forgiveness, the, re- the reality that he has forgiven us of our sins is directly tied to his grace, that which we don't deserve, and his mercy, having mercy on our souls. So here's what Paul says in verse 16 and 18. He says this, he says, so then it depends not on human will or exertion. So it's not the things that we might will, it's not the things that we might do is what he says here. He says, so then it depends not on human will, the things that we will, or exertion, the things that we do, but it it depends on God who has mercy. You see that? Who has mercy. And what Paul is going to attempt to do here is to show us how God is most glorious in his grace and his mercy. He says, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you so that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. In other words, the whole world would know who I am. The whole world would understand my power. My power. Then he says, so then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. The hardening of Pharaoh's heart may seem harsh to us, but even in the hardening of that heart, God would be glorified. And in our lives, we see mercy. We see grace. We don't deserve it any more than Pharaoh. We see mercy and we see grace. And in our mercy and our grace, he is also glorified. 
one thing that we should be very clear on is that God is indebted to no man. God doesn't owe us salvation. God doesn't owe us anything. He's not, in, we, he's not indebted to you or I, and He is not indebted to Pharaoh. He is not indebted to any man on this earth. That's something that we should be very clear to. And what He gives to one and holds back on another, that's His decision. That's God's sovereign decision. His will, no one else's. This is what makes Him so glorious. This is what allows us to look at God and go, wow. God, I don't deserve this. Why me? God, I don't understand this. I don't understand why. But, but, but would grace... Would grace be as so powerful if it were not so? Grace is what gives us the image of God being so glorious. God's mercy that He is pouring out on our life it was, is what gives us the image of Him being so glorious. Matthew Henry says this. I love this quote. He says, Whatever good comes from, man, uh, from God to man... The glory of it is not to be ascribed to the most generous desire nor the most industrious endeavor of man, but only and purely to free grace and mercy of God. Again, affirming the reality that, that man, we can desire and we can hope for and we can work hard for, but ultimately God's grace and His mercy comes from God. So he reveals this to us. J.I. Packer, he says this, and I love this one. This was, this was really a, a good one as well. The glory of God is the beauty of his spirit. In other words, when we talk about God being glorious, we, we are seeing him as majestic. We are seeing him as, as, as beautiful. And all of us here today, I hope that, that the image that we have of God is one of, of majestic beauty, of glory, gloriousness. And so J.I. Packer says this, the glory of God is the beauty of His Spirit. It's not an ecstatic beauty or a material beauty, but it is the beauty that radiates from His character, from all that He is. The glory can crown man or fill the earth. It is seen within man and in the earth, but it is not of them, it is of God. God is glorious through His mercy and His grace. God is, God is glorious in His sovereignty. As we try to process what we have looked at over the last couple of weeks, I want to share one last thing from you. I, I love this because I understand the weightiness. Is that a word? The weightiness? Is that a word, hon? I have to check with my... My Webster Dictionary down here. The heaviness of this topic. We, we try to understand this and we wrestle with this. And, and I, the last thing I want us to do is to really bog down in this. Because, because the reality is this. As we think about who Jesus is, 
there are much simpler truths that we can grab onto and hold on to as we live out our life in this world. A.W. Tozer says this, and I love this quote. He says, God will not hold us accountable to our understanding of the mysteries of election, predestination, and the divine sovereignty of God. Prying into them might make us theologians, but it will never make us saints. Why is this issue, why has this issue become one of the most divisive issues in the church if our minds can't fully understand it? Why would we, as the church, allow this to become so divisive among us when, when we can easily concede that God knows a whole lot more about all of this than we do. One of the things that, that we have recognized is that for hundreds and hundreds of years, people have been debating and arguing over the issues of sovereignty. I believe that sovereignty is something that points to his greatness, his goodness, his justness, everything about him that, that is beautiful and majestic. But so often we see that, that people want to draw lines in the sands and find themselves on one side or the other. And the reality is this, is that God is instructing us. God is teaching us something to bring glory to his name, not to cause divisiveness in the church. So we need not argue over these truths. We need not argue over our own finite understanding of this but lean heavily upon that which we know to be foundational in our faith. I think there's great value in studying the depths of God's truth, but I'm also okay with saying I just don't understand it all. Here's what I do know, though. Here's what I do know. Here's what is very crystal clear to me. Romans 11, 34 through 36 says this. It says, For... Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or whom has given uh, a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him, meaning Jesus, from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. This is what Paul is saying in this passage in Romans 11. He is saying, listen, this is what I know. That everything was created through Jesus Christ, it was created for Jesus Christ, and he will rule everything that he has created. And for that reason, to God be the glory. For that reason, I praise and I worship my Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what we know. Hebrews 1, 3 says this about Jesus. He says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Let me ask you a question. How many of you are thankful for this reality that he has made purification for your sins? Amen. That the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross, that the work that he accomplished on the cross the blood that was spilled on the cross was spilled to atone for the forgiveness of our sins. It was spilled to atone our sins. This much is crystal clear to us. This much we can understand. That God, that Jesus, 
who is God incarnate, God, Jesus who, who walked on this earth and lived a sinless life, who was willing to go to the cross and sacrifice himself for the forgiveness of our sins. That this Jesus who died a horrible and suffering death, whose blood was spilled for our atonement, was buried in a borrowed tomb, and in three days he rose from the grave victorious over sin and death. Sin has been arrested. We sang about that earlier. Amen? That's what we know about Jesus. And what we know about Jesus is the reality that Jesus is the glorious answer to every one of our needs in our life. He is sufficient in our life. We know this. He is the glorious answer. He is the glorious answer to the truths that we seek. In fact, we understand him as being the truth. And one of the things that we know about Jesus is he is the generous and glorious giver of life, both on this earth and eternally. Amen? That's who Jesus Christ is. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That one is pretty clear, isn't it? In just a moment, we're going to have a time where we can respond to what God is doing in our life. And, you know, one of the things that I just continue to to believe is that God wants to use us in a remarkable way to take the gospel into our community and around the world. I believe that that's what God has gathered us here for. I believe that that's why God continues to gather us here each and every week is that we could be prepared and equipped by the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit of God. The work that He does in here that He is gathering in this, in this place, that we may corporately worship Him and that we may be sanctified by the Holy Spirit of God, that we would be equipped to go out into our streets and teach a world who is lost in their own hopelessness because they know not Jesus as Lord and Savior. In just a moment, as the band comes and plays this last song, and as we stand and sing and worship, I want to encourage you today, if, if you want to come to this altar, let us lift up our prayers. Let us lift up our prayers to God. Let us acknowledge, God, I don't get all of this. Let us acknowledge, God, continue to sanctify me. Continue to grow me. God, I want to know your truth. I want to understand the things that you want me to understand. But let us also come, and let us lift up our prayers to him that we may be used as mighty instruments in the Redeemer's hands as we go out into the community and we share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. May today, may this morning be a time where we as the church pray and ask God, what would you have me to be? What would you have me to do? Where will you have me to go? Let that be the heart of our prayer this morning as we think of a glorious and holy and righteous God who is perfect in every way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Father, thank you for your love and your grace. God, your mercy as we have looked at today. 
And God, we recognize here today that there are so many of these passages of Scripture that as we read through, we, we, we have to wrestle with. And God, I suppose that the reason that is true is that you want us wrestling with these truths, that you want us to dive into these truths, that we may understand the depths of who you are, that we may see you more glorious. God, we recognize that you are not the author of confusion. God, we know that. You are the giver of truth. And so, Father, I pray that today, as we contemplate on the the truth of your word, Father, really wrestling with it, because wrestling with it is healthy for us, God, I pray that you would continue to do a mighty work in our hearts, that you would stir our very souls, God, we would desire and long for more of you. And that in that, God, you would equip us so that we may go out into our community and share the good news, the great news of who Jesus Christ is, knowing that you have put us in the paths of so many people who are living lives desperate because they are hopeless. Father, I pray that today would be the day that we as the church would wake up and God, we would respond to that great reality that we have in our life, to follow you. Lord, if there's those here today that, that God just need to speak to one of our pastors, I pray, Father, that you would, you would draw them near to yourself and that you would lead them to, the, to, to us that we may continue to pour into and teach and, and guide in the best way that we can. Father, I pray that we as a church would respond to prayer. And that, God, we would find ourselves on our knees as we seek to understand who you are and what your purpose on this earth for us really is. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.